I'm going to minister to you by the grace of God on a subject that some of you have heard me handle before. I've worked very diligently and prepared a message for this meeting. Uh, several days ago, the wind of the Spirit shifted, and my sails billowed in its breeze. And the Lord turned me around and made me to know that uh, he wanted me to deal with something that I dealt with before. And I said, I told the Lord, I said, well, there's a lot of those preachers heard that. But I didn't argue very much. It's all right to ask God questions, but just don't tell him what to do. Job tried that. Job asked God 181 questions. But God asked Job 184 questions. Same book. That's in the King Jimmy version now. We got all kind of versions today. We got the living Bible as opposed to the dead. I guess. The new international version coming to you from around the world. And we got versions in Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew so we can fail God in three languages. I... But you can talk in Greek and read in Hebrew and snore in Aramaic and not know the truth. Thank God for the truth. I welcome you here again today and uh, I'm delighted to have my family here, my dear wife, Thetis, my son, my daughter and my son-in-law and members of our district board. I've got the greatest district board in all the world. A number of them are here today and the pastors of this district. God bless you. You're blessed to be here. If you have your Bibles and will turn with us to the 23rd chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Brother Cole, come stand here. I want you to pray for me after I read my text. One of the greatest men of God I've ever known, my dear friend. The Lord told me that I had to make this understood, so I'll do my best. Luke 23, 34. Several days ago, I had a, a spiritual imagery. You can call it a vision or whatever you want to call it, but it was an impact from the Spirit. And I saw a preacher in a church walking up and down in front of an, a blonde-looking altar. I say blonde, it may be rust, I, I couldn't quite make it out. And I heard him pray. And he said, God, why can't we have a breakthrough here? Why is this church locked? Why no revival? And then instantly I saw this man, I was made to know it was his wife standing in front of a sink. And there was a window in front of the sink. Tears were coming down her cheek. She was praying the same thing. And the Holy Spirit made me know that this message could well be for one person. But that doesn't bother me after 45 years of preaching. I don't have anything to prove. I love Jesus and I want to please Him. So if this isn't for you, it's for one person here. Let me read Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive. Father. I want to speak to you this morning on the power of forgiveness. Power of forgiveness. Brother Cole, let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for the holy presence of the Lord that is in this sanctuary. I thank you, Lord, for the attitude of the congregation that has come with such hungry hearts. And I thank you for this great man of God. Anoint his mind, cause his mind to be alert. In Jesus' name. And loose his tongue. Touch our minds that we might be able to receive your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. 
the greatest power in the universe, I say that unequivocally and without apology, is the power of forgiveness. There would have been no Pentecostal power had there not been forgiveness. There would have been no power in the name, the sin-remitting name of Jesus. That name that's linked with remission of sins had it not been for forgiveness. There would have been no healing power had it not been for forgiveness. When Jesus Christ said, I forgive, His Spirit, His Spirit was released to do its mediatorial work. But not until He said, forgive. When He spoke, Father, forgive, at the pronouncement of that epithet of His earthly ministry, a tremendous surge of glory struck the earth. And all worlds were heard from. When he said, Father, forgive, hell's gates were jarred asunder. And the tombs were opened and there was a mini resurrection. Certain rose from the dead and appeared in the city. When he said, Father, forgive, there was an earthquake. When he said, Father, forgive, the veil was rent in twain from top to bottom. And when that veil was rent, mercy came jigging out from between the angels atop the mercy seat from the Ark of the Covenant and forgiveness went dancing out of the temple touched a centurion in front of the cross and a thief on the other side of the cross and marched into a graveyard kicked open some tombs and then mercy dove into hell for an encounter with Satan himself all of that happened when Jesus said forgive Forgive. And all of this dynamic power was released when he said, Father, forgive. The lights of heaven blinked. And the sun itself winked while its creator played with death. The doors of one dispensation, the dispensation of the law, slammed shut on their rusty hinges. And those hinges freshly lubricated by the blood of the lamb opened on the dispensation of grace. And I said there was a power of healing. And let me tell you something. There'd be no healing if it wasn't for forgiveness. Because healing and forgiveness are tied together. James said, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders. Let them anoint him with oil and pray for him. And if he sin, it shall be. Everything is tied to forgiveness. Devils themselves are bound in the presence of forgiveness, death lost its scepter and hell its terror when he said, forgive. The hand of God shattered ever known dominion and boundary when the power of forgiveness was released. Now, there's a second tier. We know that the power of forgiveness affected hell, earth, the heavens, Satan, mankind, it even affected the past dead because there's two accounts in the genealogy of Matthew and Luke concerning our Lord Jesus. And the one in Matthew begins with Abraham and comes forward to Jesus and that authenticates Jesus' sovereign right to the throne of David. That's his national prerogative. But the other begins with Jesus, not with Abraham, and goes all the way back to Adam. And when it speaks the name Adam, it said, who is a son of God? And the blood of the Lamb that died on the cross restored all the way back to Adam. Every man who had ever trusted the blood of the Lamb from Adam forward. And it left Adam in his pristine glory for it said, he's now a son of God again. All because of the power of the blood that was retroactive and went all the way back to Adam. When Jesus forgave, he could forgive sin past, present, and future because of the power of his name and his blood. Now, the second tier of forgiveness is this. We know about divine forgiveness. When people forgive each other, 
The power of God is released. The same power that was released at Calvary is released when we choose to forgive. And incidentally, forgiveness is a choice. Individuals, families, churches all experience revival in the presence of forgiveness. Whenever such an outpouring of God's grace is present, principalities and powers of hell are neutralized and the devil has to back up without a word being said to him in the presence of forgiveness. Forgiveness neutralizes all the forces of hell. Mercy that had been guarded by two angels. Symbolically atop the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant was released. Because in, in John 20 and 12 when they went into the tomb they said look there's an angel sitting at his head where his head was and an angel sitting at his feet. Now symbolically those angels had been standing for thousands of years on top of the mercy seat. But after Jesus died and rose from the dead, the angels were sitting down. They were saying, our work is done. We've been guarding mercy for the Jews for thousands of years. But mercy is unguarded. Whosoever will, let him come. Mercy that's been cribbed, cabin, and confined between the curtains of a tabernacle and a temple is now let go in all the earth. Forgiveness. You know, people either have to be entertained or changed. And it's possible to culturally enjoy church and not be changed. And what I'm talking about tonight will, in, uh, will invade your comfort zone. But if we can see what happens when people choose to forgive. I promised the Lord... A couple of years ago that I was going to quit trying to entertain people. I want people changed. Inspiration is a wonderful thing, but obligation follows inspiration. We've all gotten inspired because of the times, but what about our obligations when we leave here? I'm afraid that we have produced in Pentecost a bunch of inspiration junkies. They like a pop gospel, fast food theology. I want it my way, but this is not McDonald's. You're dealing with God. This is not the golden arches. It's a wooden cross. We like low calorie, fat free preaching. We like preachers that preach cream and practice skim milk. Go to church and leave feeling like you've been shaved with a banana. But what I'm talking about today is radical surgery. There are churches that are locked up because there is unforgiveness in that church. There's ministries that are locked up because in the hidden resources and recesses of your heart there's unforgiveness. There's saints of God that are less than you could be and you pray, God, show me why. And suddenly the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something and said way back in your past there's something you've never turned loose of. And power and forgiveness run concurrently. And until there is forgiveness, unconditional forgiveness, blood wash forgiveness in a local church, there will never be revival. Never. Power of forgiveness makes us uncomfortable. And I'm not just talking about forgiving people, but some have to forgive circumstances. Why aren't we having revival? Maybe there's some circumstance in your life. Something you don't have an explanation to. And by the way, God gives commands, not explanations. In this information age, we want to demand an explanation for everything. God doesn't come down and explain himself to our vain minds. He just comes down and says, trust me, whether you understand or not. We know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. But it doesn't say we understand all things work together. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is not going back and undoing what's been done. 
Forgiveness is accepting what's been done. Going on from there. In one act, forgiveness potentially saved the world. Why don't I have the power of the blood in my life, preacher? Maybe it's because of unforgiveness. Because the blood is forgiveness. Why don't I have the power of the name in my life? Because there's forgiveness in the name. I'm telling you, you're, you're looking at a superintendent. I'm a religious bureaucrat. I've gone into churches that were locked in their velvet ruts, saved, sanctified, and petrified. Whose favorite scripture was, none of these things move me. They wouldn't know a move of God. Oh, you're talking about Baptist churches. No, I'm talking about United Pentecostal churches. Where half of them sit on one side and half on the other. And there's about three cliques that's run the church for a hundred years. And split about three ways in their thinking. And they got old grudges that go back 50 years. And family feuds and wonder why we don't have a move of God. And they're always wanting to blame the pulpit. You'll never have a move of God until you forgive. And turn loose of some of that garbage and junk. Unfortunately, the hatred we carry around until all of our enemies are dead will kill us first. Revenge makes about as much sense as biting a dog because he bit you. And we sit around judgmentally Keeping score on one another. It's too late to keep score. We talk about he's a liberal, he's a conservative. Jesus is not coming back for liberals and conservatives. He's coming back for those that are watching him. Besides, we talk about he's on the right, he's on the left. Jesus wasn't crucified on the right or the left. He was crucified in the center. And if you try to take the center, you're more apt to get crucified. Forgiveness. Nothing typifies the transforming cleansing of God as experienced when a soul gives and receives forgiveness. Power of a new life, new hope, new joy, and the river of God flowing again into the cold, bitter heart and valleys. Jesus said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But he could not commend his spirit till he said, forgive. Because God does not touch spirits of unforgiveness. Forgiveness is the spirit of revival itself. And it's not a single act. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. You, you ever think that even today the most persecuted countries, nations have the greatest revivals? You know why? They have to live in a spirit of forgiveness. Brother Cole in his last revival in Ethiopia, in one service, 60,000 people got the Holy Ghost. The year before, over 40,000 in one service got the Holy Ghost. You know why there's great revival in Ethiopia? I've been there several times. There's not an older preacher there that hadn't been in jail. Brother Teclamarian, the leader of our group, watched as the army uh, about 15 or 20 years ago. Some soldiers grabbed his baby and threw it out the window of a church and the child died as a result of that injury. The women were put in jail. 20 and 30 of them in, in one cell that was just about 6 by 8. And they had to take turns lying down because they had to stand most of the time. They have to live in forgiveness. They had to forgive the government. They had to forgive the system. They had to forgive their jailers. They had to forgive those that beat them. They had to forgive those that killed their children. And wherever you have forgiveness, uh, you've got perpetual revival. Revival doesn't come cheap. 
some of you are uncomfortable now. Brother Tenny, what are you talking about? I'm talking about whatever you're thinking about right now. That's what I'm talking about. It's estimated that the Chinese are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost at the rate of 25,000 a day. Why were those Chinese Christians beaten, prison, jail? They have to live forgiveness. And we are so overstuffed, egotistical, proud, talking about my church, my choir, forgetting that it all belongs to God. My churches are full of territorial spirits. My piano, my Sunday school class, my ushering job, my board appointment, my this, my that. I'm telling you, it all belongs to God. We need to repent of our territorial spirit. There is one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. Whenever we forgive, and our people forgive. I went into a church several years ago, somewhere between the North Pole and Antarctica, and I saw a preacher crucified over nothing. A very wise man followed him, he was forced to resign. And after a while, that very wise man saw there's something wrong here. He called a meeting of that church. He said, we're not going to have revival here until every one of you people sign a letter of apology and let me mail it to your former pastor. You know, usually it's easy for us preachers to say, he just didn't know how to handle them. He just didn't know how to love them. When we weren't there in his time frame. You see, uh, Solomon built the temple and, 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 and David was a warrior. He couldn't build the temples. There are some men that are called to build and some men called to fight. Solomon never would have built the temple if David hadn't been a warrior. And we're all a part of the eternal purpose of God and we don't know what God's doing. And we all enter into other men's ministry. And you know what? That entire church signed a letter of apology and they mailed it to that former pastor. And you know what happened? Revival broke out. Whenever they said, forgive. Yes, when Jesus said, forgive, the whole universe was shaken. Earth was shaken. The sun hit its face. The power of forgiveness affected every world, even the political world. For the centurion said, truly this was the Son of God. Every element of the universe was affected. Father, forgive. Forgive. At that moment, demonic principalities and powers that had infiltrated man's relationship with God since the Garden of Eden were disarmed. Colossians 2.15 says that at Calvary, Jesus spoiled shamed and triumphed over Satan when he said forgive Satan fears forgiveness more than anything else in the domain of Christianity because it's the one tool that tore up hell because Jesus by forgiveness went down into hell and led captivity captive Forgiveness literally split hell wide open. Sometimes we say we love God, but we prove we love ourselves. There's some things we'd rather not know, but I'm here to introduce you to the power of forgiveness. Because when forgiveness is given and received, a spectacular release of life in the heavenly places takes precedent over evil and the same power is available I'm telling you what I'm preaching to you is a Bible truth 
Whenever you forgive, you release the same power that Jesus released. In every world, hell can be affected, earth, the heavens. Whenever, forgive. I'll never forget hearing a pastor tell about a woman one time in his church. He was counseling with and her husband had left her with four children, deserted her. And she was full of bitterness and the pastor said, Sister, you're going to have to forgive him. And she said, He doesn't deserve to be forgiven. The pastor looked at her and said, That may be true, but you do. What's that got to do with it, Brother Tenney? Jesus taught us you can't be forgiven if you don't forgive. Did you know God is fair? I can tell you exactly how you're going to be judged. How? As you judge. If you're judgmental and you like the judgment seat, fine. That's just how you're going to be judged according to the book. Do you know how you're going to be forgiven? According to the book? As you forgive. Jesus said forgive as we forgive. You know how you're going to obtain mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So if you need mercy, give it. If you need forgiveness, give it. If you don't want to be judged, get off the judgment seat. I can't afford the luxury of bitterness, unforgiveness, because unforgiveness is an acid that always destroys its container. You're not going to shout, you're going to soak. I wish I could tell you that in the ministry you will never be hurt. But I'm here to tell you, you will be hurt. Hurt is reality. Bitterness is reaction. You, you're going to be hurt, but you don't have to get bitter. If, if Brother Kilgore hurts me, I said, Brother Kilgore hurt me. The onus is on him. It's his fault. He hurt me. But if I get bitter, that's my problem. That's my reaction. And bitterness is sin. Did you know that in nearly 45 years of preaching, I have had one person confess to me that they were bitter? Is that the only bitter person you've ever dealt with? No. I've had them say, I'm not bitter. No, sir, I'm not bitter. I really love him. I mean, and vile, venom is just... You know, a pool is formed when something is stomped out. Trodden down, you call that a depression. And bitterness is always created in a depression. And if you're not careful, your low places in life can become pools of bitterness. And if the pool isn't healed, everyone that drinks there, wife, children, neighbors, fellow believers, saints in your church, can become bitter. When he forgave, he shattered boundaries. Do you feel bound? You want to come into a new dimension in God. Some of you prayed last night. Why can't I feel what everybody else is feeling? And the Lord told me to tell you it's because beneath a crevice and a rock, something you thought long ago was handled, is something you've never forgiven. And you've covered it and covered it and covered it. And you don't want to face it now. Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now that's no accident that he said debts because a debt is something that's legitimately owed. And maybe somebody legitimately owes you something, an apology, and they never pay it. Jesus said, they're in debt to you, but forgive them anyhow. But Brother Timmy, they haven't asked me to forgive them. Show me one person standing at the foot of the cross. 
that said to Jesus, forgive us. Before Jesus said, Father, I forgive. Not one. Jesus died without a promise. That we might have many promises. No one was at the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, go ahead and die. I promise you I'll serve you. Shed your blood, I promise you. He died without a promise. He died without anybody saying, forgive us for what we put you through, Lord. And here we sit sometimes. I'm not going to forgive him till he asks me. Then you know nothing of Calvary's way. You can't change the circumstance. Colossians 2.14 says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Let me give you a colloquial translation of that. It says, he canceled our certificate of death and at the same time disarmed principalities and powers. When Jesus forgave us, he canceled the debt and he disarmed the devil. And when you forgive, you cancel the debt and you disarm the devil. I'm telling you you if you'll forgive you'll take a weapon out of the devil's hand you'll take depression out of the devil's hand but until you do there'll be no anointing on your ministry there'll be no revival in your church no one was ever more wronged than the Lord Jesus Christ and we say we want to be like him Jesus forgave and disarmed the devil. And in mankind's heavenward relation to God, our pardon of others disarms the devil. Friend, you can plunder hell and populate heaven if you'll forgive. Enemy uses unforgiveness. I've heard people say, well, I forgive, but we got a little secret compartment in our heart where we put people. And when we're alone... And we think about what they've done. We pull them out of that little closet and beat up on them a while and then put them back. You know, you think it's settled and you get to thinking about it. Oh, yes, that's settled. Put it under the blood. Put it under the blood. Put it under the blood. And there will come a release and an anointing in the Holy Spirit. Forgive. Well, Brother Tenney, I know God has forgiven me, and I know the church has forgiven me, and my family's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. You know what you've said? What you just said is an insult to Calvary. You said what Jesus did at Calvary 2,000 years ago is not enough for me. He's going to have to come back and die just for me. I can't accept what he's already done. If God's forgiven you and others have forgiven you, I'm telling you it is an insult to Calvary. It's under the blood and God himself said their sins and iniquities I remember no more. You're remembering something God forgot. Quit being so judgmental on yourself. Holy Spirit never nags. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. There's power to release. There's power to bind when you forgive. But I'm going to tell you something. You know, Jesus said, whatsoever you bind is bound. Whatsoever you loose is loose. We, we think of that as binding the devil. But if I bind, Brother Ron, by unforgiveness, then I am bound in heaven. If I loose him by forgiveness, I am loosed. Not only on earth, but I am, a, I am turned loose in heaven. And can think about what's in heaven. And the Lord says to the angel, turn Tenny loose up here. I said, God, I want some of that. I want that gifts of the Spirit. I want that anointing. I want that revival. Open up heaven. I'm loosed. Wouldn't you like to be turned loose to roam all over God's heavenlies, the kingdom of heaven? Are we not in the kingdom of heaven? Oh, the power. The power. That's why he said when you pray, forgive. 
you can't pray if you don't forgive. You can go through the actions of praying. If prayer is locked up by unforgiveness, then it's loose by forgiveness. You ever see anybody pray that was full of bitterness? Go through all, oh God, oh God. He said, if I have iniquity in my heart, God's not hearing me. But look at him pray, Brother Tim. Look at him shout. Did you know that if you have a spirit of unforgiveness and a spirit of iniquity, God's not hearing you? The book says so. Well, I saw him praying. Did you ever stop to think that when heaven rejects your prayer, you can slip to another spirit and be praying to another spirit and not know it? And be reacting to another spirit? I've seen people that were full of sin and bitterness shout well isn't that the power of God on them there's more than one power and I'm telling you if iniquity and rebellions in your heart God doesn't hear you oh yes he does the book's true you're a liar Satan wants us locked into a spirit of unforgiveness. Revelation 12 and 10 said Satan accuses the brothers day and night before the throne. Satan's not omnipresent. Somebody said the devil's here. I doubt it. Probably a bunch of his imps. He, he, he's not everywhere at once. Can't be. He's not omnipresent. Well, how in the world can he accuse us day and night? If he's not everywhere, does he just stay before the throne? No. Well, why in the world? Uh, let me tell you something. No, let me tell you how he accuses us. Brother Cole's done me wrong. I'm praying. God, you know what Billy Cole did to me. Get him, God. <laughs> you know what I'm doing? I'm accusing you before the throne. Yeah. And the devil doesn't have to do it because I call it prayer and do it. Yeah. You need to pray in mercy. You need to pray in forgiveness. You need to pray, bless my brother. You know what Jesus did when he said forgive? He was blessing a world and a system that killed him. Some of you are here in some religious system you think has ground you up and spit you out. Sacerdotal drudgery of ecclesiastical hierarchy you feel has done you in. Somebody misunderstood you. Some board you think shafted you. And you're nursing it. I don't care how long you nurse a grudge. It won't get better. What have I got to do, Brother Tenney? Turn it loose. Forgive. They may not have meant it. You know what? I've had people come apologize to me and say, you know, you did so and so and... Dear God, the way they interpreted what I did and said was no more the way I meant it. it, it thin skin. You need to be tough skin, thin heart. You're in the wrong business if you're going to always get miffed and hurt. Well, you know the organization. Hey, let me tell you something. God himself in heaven didn't have a perfect organization. He had three archangels. He had a good organization. One of them, uh, Gabriel, was the secretary of communication, messenger angel. Michael was secretary of defense, war department, head of it. And Lucifer was a secretary of lights. His name means light bearer. He was a secretary of power system and worship. And did you know that the secretary of the power system and worship split heaven? And God had a good organization. He thought he couldn't even produce a perfect organization in heaven. Jesus built an organization on earth with 12 board members. And one of them turned out to be a devil and a thief. He didn't have a perfect organization on earth. And the United Pentecostal Church is not perfect. And it never will be. And if you find a perfect organization, don't join it. You'll ruin it. 
greatest threat to Satan's domain is the unity of the church. Jesus gave authority where only two could agree. He knew that no more than two could get together at the same time. So he said, if I can just get two of you to agree, there'll come a release of power. He'll do anything to keep unity. Can I get a witness? Unity doesn't just increase spiritual power, it multiplies it. And most trouble in local churches are caused by territorial preservation. Unity is built on diversity and not unity on conformity. Well, I said unity is not built on conformity, it's built on diversity. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I love one another. Oh, do we ever. But we are different. Yeah, we are different. But we have learned to celebrate our diversity. I agree with you on about 95% of everything. So I, I'm going to fellowship you on 95% and pray for you on the 5% because I know you're wrong. I've got to be right. We had to learn to celebrate our diversities. You see, whenever we tear down the walls and say, Lord, it all belongs to you, every bit of it. And wherever I can bring the most glory to your name, that's where I want to be. For, the, for years, the devil said, I own death. Because whatever you manufacture, you own. And he manufactured death. Death didn't come from God. Satan is the one responsible for death. Uh, Satan had a patent on death. And, and, and Jesus went in, kicked the doors of hell down, and screamed, Death, where is your sting? He conquered death. And death doesn't belong to Satan anymore. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he did it by forgiveness. Nothing rattles the gates of hell like forgiveness. We build so many walls. Brother Mangan and I were privileged several years ago to walk on the Great Wall of China. Great Wall of China is the only man-made object that the astronauts can see. A couple of thousand miles long. Built by the Chinese. It's as wide uh, as from here to that orchestra pit. Thick. The Chinese built it to keep out the Mongol hordes from invasion. Now, after it was built, the first 100 years after it was built, they were invaded three times. That wall was never breached. That wall was never climbed. Well, how did the Mongols get in? They bribed the gatekeepers. While the Chinese were building walls, they failed to teach their children integrity. And the generation of Chinese that were being reared while they were building their walls didn't have any integrity and they sold them out for a few shekels. We better teach this generation integrity. You better have integrity about this message. You better have integrity about your walk with God. You better have integrity about this forgiveness business. You better have some integrity. Some honesty. I've been preaching 40 minutes for you clock watchers. You see, Pharisees deny things, but they never deny self. Some people call themselves full gospel. They ought to be called full gossip. Whenever you criticize another brother or sister, you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, your workmanship doesn't meet my standards. The power of death and life is in the tongue. Do you believe that while Brother Jim Larson is in San Diego that I could pray for him in Alexandria and God could touch him in San Diego? You believe your God's powerful enough for me to pray a prayer here? All right. Not only is life in the power of the tongue, but death. And when I start criticizing and speaking negatively against my brother, I unleash negative spirits that can bind him. I've been in churches that were bound, the preacher was bound, the pulpit was bound. Why, why? Because 90% of the talk of the church was negative toward the pulpit and they had locked it up. Because there's, in the tongue, there's the power of death and life. 
And when we start speaking negatively about one another and critical about one another, if you've got a problem with your brother, do what the book said. Go to him. And if you don't, you violated the book. Criticism is one of the ultimate manifestations of pride because it assumes superiority. Which one of us here can even make ourselves all that we should be? Is there anybody here that will stand and say, Brother Tenney, I'm everything I should be? Nobody? Well, if we can't change ourselves, how are we going to change our brother? Unforgiveness binds. Yeah, but Brother Tenney, 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, Judge those within. That's true. But why judge those within? Judgment always acts redemptively. You know what that means? You've got to judge the spirit of the accusation, not just the accusation. Well, I don't believe that. I'll proof text it. Brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. Remember that? Brought her to Jesus. Jeffrey, I got some questions for those male chauvinists. If they caught her in the act, where's the man? Takes two to tangle. Yeah. And, and how did they know where to go to find them doing it? Because what they were doing, you don't do in public. They knew her address. They had been there before. When they knocked on the door, they let them in. They were regular customers. And you better watch a man that's constantly criticizing another. He may be a regular customer of what he's talking about. <laughs> now you watch Jesus judge the spirit of the accusers. Now the woman was guilty, certainly. But he proved... That a sin of the spirit can be worse than a sin of the flesh. Because he said, woman, where are your accusers? You know, he said, let he that's without sin cast the first stone. And the only man that could have cast the first stone was Jesus. And he wouldn't do it. Are we acting like him? Are we Christians? Neither do I condemn thee. Go. He didn't say he didn't condemn those others. Hypocrites. Put people in hell for watching TV and prop up them in a motel and watch the World Series. Oh, Brother Tenney said you go to hell if you watch World Series. I didn't say no such a thing, but don't be a hypocrite about it. Don't you preach something you're not living. Now I have invaded your comfort zone. You know, you can, you can do the right thing in the wrong way. And that's what these men that brought the woman were doing. They were doing the right thing in the wrong way. And God gets in attention trying to decide whether to bless a right man that's wrong or a wrong man that's right. The power of forgiveness. That woman whom the law said had to die. Section 7, paragraph 3. 1A. Let me hasten. You ever hear of a fellow called Jacob? Do you know the only thing that kept Jehovah from being known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau was one bowl of soup?
whenever Jacob was coming back and they said Esau's coming, he said, take a, several bands of men, I'll impress him. They took several bands of men, they came back and said, he's still coming. <laughs> well, take these flocks, and when he says, who flocks are these? And there was thousands of them, say, this is your brother's flocks. They did it, and they said, he's still coming. <laughs> well, take these gifts to him. They took them, they said, he's still coming. And my God. So here comes... Genesis 33, I can see old Esau, his veins strutting. He'd been waiting for 20 some odd years, spitting and killing grass everywhere he spits. Wait till I get my hands on him, that conniving cheat, liar. Wait till I get him in here. I can feel his neck. But when Jacob saw him coming, he fell seven times. And when he did, he released forgiveness. He bound the territory of the enemy in Esau's life. And when Esau saw him bowing in repentance, Esau fell off of his donkey and he ran. He grabbed Jacob and he kissed him and they wept. Power was released, souls transformed, old grudges were healed because of repentance and forgiveness. And think of what Jacob had done to Esau. He stole his blessing. He was a deceiver and a con artist. But when he fell in forgiveness, when Joseph was reunited with his brothers, they had sold him in slavery. He had every right to be bitter if there is a right. But Joseph chose to forgive. And forgiveness is a choice. Joseph could not control himself. He wept loudly when he revealed himself to his brothers. And the Bible said the Egyptians heard it. The household of Pharaoh heard it. The whole world needs to know there's forgiveness in the family of God among brothers. Egypt doesn't need to know that brothers in the same family fight and hate. So full of love was Joseph till he begged his brothers. In Genesis 45, 1 through 5, he said, Look, fellas, do not grieve or be angry with yourself, for God sent me before you to preserve life and to keep you alive. Why am I here? He said, God sent me to preserve life. Forgiveness preserves life. He had a lot of rights and sometimes we're so busy defending our rights until we forget our responsibility. And our responsibility is to forgive. Forgiveness preserves life. Unforgiveness presents death. But look what they had done to him. You know why they didn't like him? Because of his gifting. When will we ever learn that some are 30, some are 60, or some are 100? And if you can't be the leader, why don't you dedicate yourself to making the leader look good? He had a coat of a different color, and we don't, his coat looked like he was wearing a striped bed sheet. And, and we don't like colors, we don't like brothers of another stripe. You see, we may be brothers, but we're not identical twins. No bitterness in Joseph. You know what? This man Joseph never sought revenge, even after the death of his father. Never sought revenge. I'm going to tell you the first thing I'd have done when I became prime minister. I'd have sent down there and said, go bring Polly Potiphar. I call her Polly. That's all right. Bring Polly Potiphar. Stand her right here. Lying hussy. Put her in jail like I was put in jail. He never mentioned that woman. He never talked about it. It never came to his mind. She was forgiven. He just saw her as a part of God's plan to develop him and to get him where he was supposed to be. And some of the very things we fight are the things God has sent to develop us and to get us to where we ought to be. Even some of the people that cross our path and cross our grain are allowed to be there to develop us and to make us what we ought to be.
I'm going to let my wheels down. 45 minutes. Power of forgiveness. I, I want to show you something. I want to show you something that was in the book that was never practiced. It's God's law of the servant. Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 18. God called the children of Israel to an implementation of a year of remission or forgiveness. Every seven years, they had to release any Hebrew maidservant, manservant that was indentured to them. Because if a, if a Hebrew was indentured or enslaved to another Hebrew, another Hebrew, it was usually because of a debt. They were paying off a debt they owed or a family debt. And every seven years, God said, you've got to turn them loose. There's a lot of debtors, you know, well, he owes me an apology. And there comes a time when you've got to release him, whether he asks for it or not. Six years is long enough. On the seventh year, let him go. Uh, unforgiveness is a spirit. Hiding in places of demonic activity. The caverns of the human soul and subtle places. A woman at the altar one time was praying because her husband too had left her with several children. Abandoned her. Left her destitute. And she was praying. And, and her pastor saw her struggling and he came up and I heard him tell this. And he, he knelt beside her. He said, Sister, you're going to have to forgive your husband. She looked up at him and she said, I can't. I don't know what he did to me. And she went back to praying. Kept struggling. Pastor went by in a few minutes and said, Sister, you have got to forgive him. She looked up and said, I won't. He said, now you're right. She said, what do you mean? He said, I won't means I will not. And he said, forgiveness is a matter of the will. And it's not that you can't do it. It's that you won't do it. What would happen if we left here in a spirit of forgiveness? Some of us have things so deep in our spirit. Okay, I mentioned the law of remission. Jeremiah 34. I want to show you the impact of pardon on a city. What might have happened if they'd obeyed God, forgiven. Israelites outnumbered. 34 and 1, Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Bible said all his armies with all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, can you imagine that? All the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion were around about Jerusalem. Brother, what odds? You ever feel like that? Totally surrounded. All the, all the imps of hell. Everything hell had to throw at you. No way to get out. They were locked up. My God. They were fighting insurmountable odds. Totally perplexed. And the word perplexed means no way out. And Jesus said the last days will be days of perplexity. This was the plight of Israel. But God had a plan. He was going to call for a year of remission. Jeremiah spoke to Zedekiah and said, Zedekiah, you tell all of Israel to release their Hebrew maid servants and bond servants. What? Don't keep your brother in bondage any longer. Turn him loose. And the Bible said they entered into a covenant and every man released his servants. They turned loose. They forgave. But somebody said, he hadn't paid me yet. Forgive him. Turn him loose. Zedekiah said, the prophet said, turn him loose. You know, it's one thing to have lost a war and become a slave of the enemy. But it's another thing, quite another thing, to become a slave to your brother. The first murder was not enemy against enemy. It was brother against brother. And somebody's indebtedness can enslave him to his brother. And, 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 and that's such a bondage. So they let him go. We preach about... I, do, I got a whole sermon on Jesus is my jubilee, about the year of jubilee. And we tell about how every 50 years, you know, all the land went back and all the debts were canceled. Find me one place in the Bible where Israel ever kept that. It makes good preaching. It's in the book. But they never one time kept it. Is there anything else in the book that we preach that we don't keep? I'm preaching on forgiveness, but, but every one of us that can will find an excuse not to put in action what I'm talking about. Some of you are saying it was so many years ago. I'm telling you, find me in the Bible where the year of Jubilee was ever kept. 
Find me where the year of remission was ever kept. Why are we in bondage? Why is the enemy, why is our church under attack? And the prophet said, there's no forgiveness here. Turn your slaves loose. You've never obeyed the word of God in this. So they turned them loose. Well now how can we enslave one another? You see, whenever any relationship exists outside the shelter and covering of love, that relationship degenerates into a system of mutual expectation and unwritten laws and control, and we become debtors. If I don't generally love you, all I want to do is control you. Let me give you an example. Years ago, my old pastor told me about two women he, he pastored. And one of them was quite affluent, and the other woman was a widow woman. The only way she had to make a living, this was back in the Depression, was taking in washing and ironing and cleaning houses. So the sister who was affluent in his church hired this other sister to come keep her house. And the sister that hired her said that because she is my sister, she ought to work for me for less than anybody else. And the lady that went to work said because she is my sister, she ought to pay me more than anybody else. That relationship wasn't based on love. It was based on what can I get out of you and what can you get out of me. Trying to use one another. I, I have actually known of this. Somebody come into a church. You know, oh, we're so glad to have you. What do you do? I teach, uh, uh, I teach the seventh grade. Oh, my. We can use you in our junior high class. People don't want to be used. They want to be loved. And the first thing we say when they come in is we can use you. Okay, they turn them loose. Turn, us, turn them loose. Sometimes our, our, our blatant opinion enslaves somebody. Peer pressure. All you've got to do to put a preacher under pressure and get him to chase in rabbits instead of dealing with something he needs to deal with is start a rumor he's a compromiser. And then when he gets up to preach, he's got to spend half of his sermon qualifying. And the devil, <laughs> he had a good message. But because of peer pressure, because I started some stupid rumor. James 2.13 tells us mercy triumphs over judgment, and it always does. God said, you set your slaves free, and I'll show you what I'll do. Oh, the scripture said, God who's rich in mercy. God's riches is his mercy. He likes to flood us with mercy. When you start giving mercy, you can go wild on a spending spree. Because God who's rich in mercy, just dispense it. Spend it. You got the master's card. Okay, that was their last opportunity. Last opportunity. And suddenly the Bible said Nebuchadnezzar disappeared. They went out and looked. He's gone. What? He's gone. When we forgave and released the enemy back off. They said, are you sure he's gone? Yeah, he's gone. Go get those slaves back. And the book of Jeremiah said they went and recaptured all their slaves and put them back under bondage. And whenever there's a decrease of love, there's always an increase of demonic activity in relationships. Under the fear of death, they released their slaves. But now with death removed, they went and got them. And the Bible said they looked up in a few days, and guess who's back? The Babylonians came back, raised the city, destroyed it, took these Israelites into captivity, and left their slaves to populate the land eat their vineyard and live in their houses there was no happy ending destroyed because they would not oh they said under pressure I forgive but they didn't mean it we get hung up on numbers 
Jesus said in Matthew 18, 21, 22, forgive seven times. He said that earlier, but Peter missed the spirit. And Peter, he got talking about forgiveness again. And Peter said, well, you, you mean I've got to forgive seven times? Read Luke 17 in connection with that. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. What? And they said, increase our faith when he said that. You see, forgiveness is tied to faith. If you don't forgive, you'll have no faith. Read it. Forgiveness is tied to faith. I'm telling you, everything's tied to forgiveness. Seventy times seven, that's 490 times. In a day, that's 30 times an hour. That's once every two minutes. That's what I'm telling you. Fullness is a full-time job. It's an attitude, not an act. I've got to live in forgiveness. It's tragic that we can find Christ and we can't find one another. I've hit the runway. Don't unfasten your seatbelt till we get to the terminal. Remember the parable of Jesus? Man that owed the king, the king had loaned him 10,000 talents. You know how much 10,000 talents is? That's 7,500,000 ounces. That would be worth $30 million today. $30 million. And the king said, I forgive you this $30 million. You'll never pay it back. And he went out skipping and shouting, the king's forgiven me, 30 million. And he found a fellow servant that owed him 100 pence, which is $32, that he had loaned him. Give me my $32. I can't. Give me time. Throw him in jail. And the king heard about it. I forgave him 32 million and he can't. I forgave him 30 million and he can't forgive 32 dollars. Bring him back. And when he brought him back, the king canceled the deal and revoked his forgiveness. Now let me ask you something. If that man had to borrow money from the king, that meant he didn't have any. Well, where did he get the 32 dollars he loaned his brother? Out of the 30 million that the king had loaned him because that's all he had. The only mercy I've got is what I received. And wouldn't it be tragic that I, 45 years ago, received $30 million worth of forgiveness and I won't give my brother $32 worth of it? You know what the king will do? He'll revoke it. Forgive and it shall be forgiven. I heard a man say one time, I hope God forgives him because I never will. Two of the most powerful phrases in the universe are the phrases, I'm sorry and forgive me. <laughs> One of the greatest powers of the universe is the power of forgiveness. And until you turn the slaves and those you're holding bondage loose, be it circumstances or people, past, present, even things you fear in the future, until you learn to forgive, you'll never be released. But once you forgive, all of hell is paralyzed. Nebuchadnezzar goes back to Babylon. Power of forgiveness. Somebody may have to make some phone calls. I call upon you to bow over where you are now and let's repent.